Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. We're so used to being hyper-stimulated and go, 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 go. I'll say admittedly, mainly for me because I had such an addiction to work. That was my default. So we had lots of things. In You're place, listening like, to example. Shalene Johnson, an amazing friend and mentor of mine. And today we're going to be discussing work-life balance. I don't know if you're like me or like Shalene, but oftentimes we default to just continuing to stay busy. And how do we know what we should stay busy on when we want to say no to things? What do we prioritize? How do we manage this versus our family? How do we blend them together nicely? I've always admired Shalene and how she's been able to seemingly have everything together. And we find out in this episode that it wasn't always that way. You're also gonna hear about an amazing business opportunity that Shalene and her husband, Brett, turned down after just having a single conversation with somebody. And what this person said is something we should all be thinking about related to our businesses as well. So make sure you stick around for that. So that and a lot more coming your way right after the intro music. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. He once thought he could beat Shalene Johnson in a lip sync battle. Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, Team Flynn? Thank you for joining me today in session 366 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. Shalene Johnson is here with us today. We'll get with her in just a second. But if you don't know who Shalene is, she is an incredibly uh, famous celebrity in the fitness space, and she had been for many years. And she's still helping people, loads of people, with their health and fitness. She has a book coming out called 131 Method, which I've personally seen have transformations on several people's lives, especially on social media. But she also helps people with their businesses and with work-life balance and understanding how to live their best life and build a business on the side or full-time. And she's definitely been a mentor of mine as well. So I'm really stoked to have her on the show today. So without further ado, here is Shalene Johnson. She's got a couple podcasts you should listen to, The Shalene Show and Build Your Tribe and the 131 Method book that is uh, coming out very soon, if not already by the time you listen to this. So here she is, Shalene Johnson. Shalene, welcome back to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for being here again. 
Pat, it is so awesome to be here. I love you. I love you too. And I love that you are just doing all these amazing things. You have a book uh, that is coming out, 131 Method, your personalized nutrition solution to boost metabolism, restore gut health, and lose weight. And I definitely want to get into the story about kind of how this book came to be. And, awesome. uh, you know, by the time, at the time we're recording this, it's it's a couple months away from launching and it's already like in the top charts on Amazon. So th it's going to crush. I'm so stoked for you. Which is cool that you got to tell me that today because I'm just like not worrying about that this time. I'm really just trying to focus on changing people's lives with it and not worrying about like, okay, how does it measure up against everything else? And so that was fun for you to share that with me today. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me more about that. Like, how are you able to do that? Because I know, especially at, you know, all, all levels of people who do business and, you know, we're all podcasting, we're all blogging, we check our traffic, we check our uh, mm. rankings on iTunes all the time. How do we know, or how can we let go of that? It sounds like you've, you've discovered that. Out of necessity, I just am not happy when I look, I'm never fulfilled if I compare myself to others. If I look at how my podcast is ranking, no matter how high it climbs, if it's not number one, that bothers me. Um, it just, then I'm inauthentic. I'm like, I start thinking about strategy, which I don't think I should do, versus just like listening to my audience and thinking about what they'll need. And I just, when I look at any, when I compare myself in any way, if I open up Instagram first thing in the morning, I'll see on the explore page, people who are younger, fitter, stronger, richer, more er than me. And that doesn't make me feel good. So it's just learning that guy, there's so many things I can control. And one of them is learning not to worry about comparisons. And I'm a much happier person. And like, who really cares about how you rank amongst whatever, you know, and I know that's, for some people, it's really important because it's a motivator. It doesn't motivate me. It it demoralizes me. So that's it's just something I need to do. Well, the reason I wanted to have you on the show today was not just to help promote your book because it's amazing. And I've seen what you've done to let people know that this thing is coming. It's been mm -hmm. a long time that I've that I just got introduced to the one three one method. And I, I heard about it probably a year ago, maybe over a year ago. Yeah, um, probably. We started research three years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and and just how you've kept us in the loop with that process and this discovery of, of this method. And now it's turning into a book. I mean, I think it's just all leading up to something really amazing. And already amazing things have been happening. You had mentioned earlier that you really focus on listening to your audience. Mm -hmm. I would assume that this book is a result of that. Yeah. In fact, I snapped or did an Instagram story recently suggesting that I should probably make my whole audience co-authors because they really were such a big part of the development of the method. It's not a diet. It's it's a methodology. And just listening to them and hearing their stories and their struggles and what was challenging and where they needed help and what and just all the information, the data, we researched it with 25,000 people who volunteered to do that um, you know, before we even released, it, opened it up to the public. So I'm so grateful because every iteration allowed us to continually improve it and correct it. And we couldn't have done that without their feedback and input. How did you, like, how do you listen to your audience? Like what methods do you use to converse with them? I literally talk to them every day. And I did this little shift maybe, I guess, three years ago when I used to just, I would outsource a lot of my interactions. I would have a virtual assistant go through and like people's posts. Um, people on my team would help me reply to comments. And then that felt kind of weird. I was like, I don't, 
I don't know if I feel right about someone replying as me. So don't do that. Instead, I think what I'll do is I'll just turn off all of those features and functions so that I can focus. And I think that's fine. But when I wanted to know what was going on, like what they were struggling with, and I really wanted, I wanted confirmation that I wasn't crazy, what I was going through, this kind of transformational rejection of what people are pretending is health and fitness. And I, I just wanted to know, I really, for my own benefit, for, to boost my own confidence, I wanted to hear from my followers that they agreed with me or that they were struggling with this. So I opened up all of my DMs, all of my private messaging, and just started spending the majority of my day planning it so that I had a certain number of hours, literally hours per day, I would spend just interacting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And again, initially I did that because it just feels good when you have people agreeing with you. And then eventually it turned into me just wanting to ask them more questions, like digging deeper and figuring out what we had in common and when you do that, you don't have to try to guess at what to create or how to name it or what it should look like or how long it should be or what the price should be because the people that you're serving will will tell you. And not only will they tell you, I find they help you to co-create it. Now, you are somebody who helps a lot of people with their businesses. I've been to your events. Your lifers are amazing, by the way. If any of you are Shaleen Lifers and you're listening to this, I just, I appreciate you. You make me feel so welcome on your stages. They're awesome. Uh, um, Smart Success Summit, Marketing Impact mm -hmm. Academy. These are live events that mm -hmm. I've attended and uh, had the pleasure to speak at. But, you know, what, what would Shaleen Johnson do if you weren't Shaleen Johnson? Meaning you have this built-in audience. You're able to test big things yeah. like this. You got 25,000 people to pre yeah. sort of validate something for you. Mm -hmm. If you were starting from scratch, like you have nobody to access. How do you even begin oh, to do gosh. research? We do. We do, though, because everyone has access to social media. You can if you go on another influencers page and there's commentary underneath that, most influencers love that community and they encourage that. So th there's a place where you can connect with like minded people, because if that's someone you're attracted to, likely the people who would want to join your tribe are there, too joining membership groups, joining Facebook groups, becoming a part of a, an in-person networking organization. And by the way, you don't need a lot of people to get feedback. You, I mean, you can get it from as many as 10 or 15 or 20 people that are just interacting with your post. You just have to be patient and willing and able to listen and encourage that dialogue. I've also seen it happen in courses, right? Like, for example, in your podcasting courses, a community there of people are kind of going through the same thing at the same time. And that's where they can ask like, hey, would do you think people want a podcast that's 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour? You need, you can just, if you just ask, people love to share their opinion. That's true. And I love that you mentioned going into other existing groups, even if you're just starting from scratch, because you can start up uh, conversations with people there and I'm trying to remember who said this, but it really struck me that you can become micro famous in somebody else's platform. Not that you're using them, but you can just become somebody who actually does have the time to sort of care about the individuals who are there with you. And I don't know about you, but I, I love those people because they tend to be like the concierge, like the 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 person who has self-appointed and yeah. sometimes it can be a crazy person, which isn't a good thing. But usually it's like someone who like really gets the message they, and they want to protect the message and they tend to be um, the go-to person. And yeah, you're right. Those people can develop their own following from that. 
Right. It just reminds me of a guy in one of my podcasting courses named Jason Skinner. He's sort of become this micro famous person in my Facebook uh, student center for my podcasting courses because he's so helpful. He's he's been there. He was part of the beta group. I think he may he 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 may have even been at your event when when I first launched that. Oh and, wow! And 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 he's just continually showed up and people continue to ask him questions and now his podcasting uh, career is, is taking a good leap forward and it's just one of those things. So you you can start from scratch yet still have the ability to uh, take advantage of these groups of people who are just like you. If as long as you like you said earlier, you just actually care yes. about them. Yes. Now, in addition to caring about your audiences and caring about the work that you do, you also have to care for yourself, which is why taking care of your mind and your body is really important. And obviously, one three one method, check that out. But I wanted to speak to you, Shalene, about your work life balance because mm-hmm. you do. You, you're somebody who takes care of yourself. You take care of your family. You take care of your lifers. You take care of your business. You're writing books. You're doing events. You're doing so much. I just want to know how you're able to do that because now I'm at, a, I'm at a point where I have an event coming up. I have a book coming out and all these other things and I'm starting to feel a little bit of the, oh, well, this could go all the way on this side and I could I could completely see myself getting away from my family mm-hmm. and, and losing that and I don't want to lose that and you've yeah. done a great job of balancing that. How, can you speak to how you're able to manage work-life balance? I'd love to. I should start by saying that I don't always get it right. This year was... Um, there was probably about a six month period in there where we were really quite out of balance. And I kept kind of ignoring those signs because I know them and we've spent a lot of time and I'll talk about that developing policies and procedures, literally personal policies that we have in writing that make certain we don't get to a place where things are completely out of balance. This and is for your family? Like you each have like your own personal policies to stay together? <laughs> Brett and I have uh, a married one, um, and that's important. And I think everyone needs their own individual mm-hmm. policies, personal policies. Um, you know, I think that if you, if you don't have it in writing, it's really easy to say, well, this should be fine. Well, this is okay. Well, just for this one time, or this is just an opportunity I cannot turn down. This isn't going to happen again. We start to rationalize with ourselves this kind of scarcity mindset that, if I don't say yes now, I won't have this opportunity again later. And that's really easy to do if you don't have something in writing. And we had it in writing and even still found ourselves making some of those mistakes this year and getting off track and um, then correcting course. And, and the beauty of it is that we knew how to correct course, but it w- it still got to a place where, you know, I'm, I'm not proud of the fact that I kind of ignored some of those signs. And I really attribute this to the fact that I didn't take my own advice, which is when you have a life change, you need to revise your policy, right? So I call this my my priority statement, my priority clarity statement. And I suggest to everyone that if you have some kind of major change, you need to revise that that statement. And I, I didn't do that when our daughter moved away to school to go to um, to college and our son was off to college, that's a major life change. We were suddenly empty nesters. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't revise our statement, I just was like, oh, wow, there's all this extra time available. And um, it, it wasn't good because we got out of balance. Major changes are like a divorce. 
um, a change in your health status, adding a child, getting married, going to college, changing careers, your children leaving, uh, moving a, a parent into your home to be a caretaker, dealing with a serious illness for yourself or somebody you care for. Like those major changes require that you stop, drop, and reevaluate what is a priority to you. It almost sounds like that in order for functionality, you need some sort of system or rules, if not like a constitution, essentially, to live by. Um, some oh, yeah. people call them core values or, or, or something like that. However, you know, the constitution has amendments, uh, as should we, as our life True. continues yeah. to, to grow. Um, could you or would you be willing to share examples of like what you might have or what a person might have in writing um, yeah. for something yeah. like that? I think and it's interesting you said mission statement because I think a lot of people kind of have created their own mission statement and but haven't thought about how it needs to change. So for me, a priority clarity statement is what is important to me in this season. So obviously my faith is important to me always. My kids are important to me always. But if I were, for example, um, in a position where we were filing for bankruptcy, hypothetically, my family is still a priority. My faith is still a priority. But in this particular season, I would need to prioritize saving and or making money because as much as I love my family, if we're homeless, like that's not a good thing. So it's really looking at for this season, the season I'm in right now, what needs to be my primary focus. And then when I list that out in writing, I will put parameters in there that allow me to honor the other areas of my life that are just always going to be a prior priority, like family and purpose, my faith. Um, and so, for example, when our kids were young, Brett and I, and, and by the way, anything I share, Pat, like it's, it's just, it's just right for us. I would never want to suggest that I have judgment for someone who doesn't share like my priorities or sure. the way that we do things. It's just part of what I believe happiness revolves around is like doing things the way I know it's going to feel right for me. And Brett and I, because our family was so important as we were building our business and they were young, it's really freaking hard because your kids, it's weird. They want your attention and stuff. <laughs> and you also, it's so much easier to go into work mode than to like sit down and force yourself to play with cars or to, you know, uh, sit next to your child while they're taking a bath for an hour. Like, you know, these things are like, we're so used to being hyper stimulated and go, 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 go. And to be a good parent, you have to be able to like chill out and slow down. And we, when we were building our business and the kids were young, we needed parameters. And I'll say admittedly, mainly for me, because I had such an addiction to work. That was my default. So we had lots of things in place. Like for example, specifics all the way down to, uh, there was at three o'clock, we had a lot of people that worked in our home and we worked in our home, but at three o'clock, everyone was gone. When the kids walked in the door after work or after school, that's when work ended mm -hmm. so that I could greet them at the door and Brett, we could greet them at the door. We both could drive to pick them up from school and that our kids didn't feel like they were second fiddle to our work. So we would really concentrate our hours of effort and not take personal phone calls and not do all the personal stuff till three o'clock. And then once three o'clock hit, it was like kid time. And then I would go back to do anything I needed after they went down at night, like nine o'clock at night. 
Other policies we had in place when they were little is I wouldn't do more than one what I considered time-consuming or brand-new obligation per month. So that might mean um, if people, I, someone proposed a new project, but I already have one scheduled for March, I'd have to decline it. If there was an appearance, that would mean I'd have to create a new speech or a new presentation, and I already have one on my books. I'd have to push it to another month or decline it. It was just like one a month was our was our personal policy at that time. That makes sense. I mean, to me, really, this, this is summed up by just sim- simply conscious and purposeful. Um, and I think this is where a lot of us who, especially us entrepreneurs who are addicted to work and well, uh, there really is no end to our workday um, mm-hmm. with the other important aspects of our life. We ha- we have to really be purposeful with where our time is and how it's spent and what that means for our future. Are you still addicted to work? Um, that's a good question. I guess the honest answer would be, I guess, w- once you're an addict, you're, you're always an addict. But I did a lot of therapy around it to figure out why. I felt the way I did. Mm-hmm. So I've resolved, I don't feel those same, the same reason why I was addicted to work. I, I felt like I was a bad person that I had, didn't have value or worth if I wasn't doing, doing, doing. And specifically if I wasn't making other people money, it wasn't about my bank account, didn't care. But if I wasn't making other people money and in return, getting the pat on the back, and this all stems from a, a singular childhood incident, I, if that wasn't happening, I felt worthless. So I was constantly striving and trying to set up all of these things where I could get more pats on the back from people saying like, thank you, you made me this money or, you know, just those accolades. Mm -hmm. And I, I was desperate for those. What I'm, and I don't feel that anymore, but what I do feel is I still have a hard time, if I'm being honest, just vegging out. Yeah. So it works an easy go-to. Right. So if you had a few hours to just chill on the couch and do nothing, you would feel kind of uncomfortable in that situation. I I can do it now. I can do it now. I don't know that I can veg out. I could watch a documentary. But before I did therapy, I couldn't watch a movie. I would be guilt ridden. I couldn't stand to see somebody. Oh, never. If we went to a movie, in my mind, I would say, okay, I know what you can do. You can create a list in your head. You can kind of reverse engineer this project that you, and I would sit and look at the movie, but I wouldn't allow myself to really get lost in the movie because I felt like that would be, um, it, it would be selfish and I would be a worthless person if I did that. I should use that time to like brainstorm something or solve a problem in my head related to work or come up with creative ideas. So pretty miserable person to be around. I also could not handle seeing my husband just like sit down. I was like, do you need a list? Do you, you want me to get you a list? I'll get you a list if you need one. How's that list coming along? Oh, Brett. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's so funny. I, and thank you for opening up and, and sharing all this. I think a lot of us can, can relate to that. What would new Shaleen say to the younger Shaleen in the movie theater right now? Hmm. Girl, you are never going to get this time back. You are destroying your health. This is what you're, you're missing out on the joy, the gift from God of this life. And you're, you're missing out on it and you are valuable and you are worthy regardless of what you can do for other people. Wow. I love what you said about the gift of sort of the gift of now. 
I mean, yeah. how, how many of, how many of us haven't taken the time lately to just slow down, take a few deep breaths, look around, and just realize what we do have available, even if things aren't going so well, we still have yeah. a lot of things to be thankful for. And I think this is a really good check in. So maybe right now, as you're listening to this, why don't you just check in with yourself just for a minute? Or a couple seconds here to be grateful for the things that you do have and that are around you and that you do have access to. Uh, thank you for that gift, Shalene. Oh, it gives me chills to think about. Yeah, it's true. So I want to talk about snowboarding. <laughs> okay. Really quick. And you had spoken once on stage and I watched you tell this amazing story about a business that you were going to start in the snowboarding oh, in- yeah. industry. Can you tell yeah. us what happened and, and why it turned out the way it did? Oh, sh- oh, that's a good memory. Yeah. Um, I love snowboarding. My husband and I grew up skiers, but we eventually transitioned over to snowboarding mainly because I felt like snowboarders dressed cooler. And I was like, man, they look so cool. I just look like a skier over here, <laughs> like with these tight pants and the tight jacket. Look at them with their biggie jackets. They all look like they're in a hip hop group or something. So we made the switch for fashion reasons and very quickly fell in love with it. But that's also why I had this idea to start a business. We had, in our previous business, a business we had sold, we had manufactured fitness apparel. So I knew a little bit about the apparel business, and I I really enjoyed it. And once we sold it and started snowboarding, I said to Brett, you know, I was kind of like customizing my own snowboarding gear. I'm like, I need to start, we need to start a snowboarding apparel company. And it was like... I think January one, and we're riding up a chairlift and I can remember the snow coming down and, you know, thinking about how excited I was for this new year and this new opportunity. And, and in my mind, I was like, we love snowboarding. We love fashion. I've got all these great ideas. There's this untapped, unserved market. Let's do this. And he's like, yeah, he was down with it. So we sat down and started to reverse engineer what that what everything needed to happen in order for us to to make this a reality. And one of our, on that huge brainstorming list, you just come up, and if anyone's ever done this, you just, you just vomit out everything you can possibly think of from business cards to business names to who do we know that's done this before, anything you can think of, just get it all on paper. And then you look at that list and go, okay, what of these things should we do first to figure out if in fact this is a decent idea, um, which I know you've got, a book that helps people to figure that out. Will it fly? Which is awesome. Thank you. And we kind of went through, you know, a similar process that you describe in the book. And one of the first things we did was to meet with someone who once owned a snowboarding apparel company. And that was, uh, you know, still in the first week of January, he had lunch with us and he just looked at us and he said, okay, so wait a second. So you, you found something that you can actually enjoy and relax and stop working and take part in as a family that's just pure joy for you, a hobby. And what you want to do is build a business around it. You want to build a business that you know nothing about where you don't have any followers or or any platform with regard to snowboarding. You don't really even have a history of snowboarding. And you think you're going to start a fitness apparel company that's literally a two-month market. Are you sure? And Brett and I both looked at each other. We're like, well, we're we're sure right now that we don't want to do that. Like, it was just, <laughs> wow, this is really so simple. It's done. <laughs> we just literally went from like being super excited about it to like, yeah, no, that doesn't fit. 
Wow. So th- it was this conversation with with this person. Did you know this what? person before? Did, did you reach out to them to have this talk? Um, I knew him not really well, just a, an acquaintance. And okay. uh, it was like the moment he started being honest about and asking those questions, because I was in a place now where I knew what it felt like to get all caught up in work and I was overcoming these addictive feelings. When he started describing what it was going to feel like. He's like, you know, just imagine now you're showing up in your favorite city in Park City. And instead of snowboarding, you've got to go and hit every single one of the boutiques and you've got to bring gear and you've got to service clients. And now when will you be snowboarding? And I was just like, "Uh, oh, this is so crystal clear because I had an open mind because I was willing to hear some of those negatives and be asked those questions and answer them honestly. It made it very easy to make the right decision. I think sometimes we're so in love with the idea that when people are simply asking us questions, we don't want to hear it. So we're not going to answer it honestly. How do you understand if what a person is saying is valid? Meaning (laughs) you have this conversation and they say these things. And I think in your case, because of the, uh, the the fact that you were just so in love with snowboarding and it just kind of made sense for you and your family at that time to not do this. You were so mm-hmm. enthralled by the idea. It just made sense to, me to say no right then and there. But mm-hmm. what, what if there's a person – I mean there, there are people listening to this right now who have a hobby that they love yeah. that they're yeah. trying to build a business around. And perhaps they just heard what you said and their heart sank a little bit because they're like putting mm-hmm. this work and time and passion into this thing. How do we know if – Hearing something like, like that is is a valid statement versus just, you know what, I get that, but I'm going to still push forward. Right. Yeah, that's difficult um, because it depends on who it is you heard it from. I think we know if we give ourselves permission to pay attention to our intuition and the feeling we get in our body when someone says something like that, you either get a feeling like, oh, gee, you know, I'm going to smile and nod, but they don't know what they're talking about, or you get that defensive feeling and this you know, like almost a, I don't know, like a pang in your gut Mm -hmm. that tells you like, oh, they're right. You know, if you get that feeling and you're, you don't know which way to go, go get more information. Look for people who maybe don't agree with what it is you're doing. So just collect information, just go on an information collecting spree where you just take in the information, don't take it personal. And I, I think we often know, and especially if we talk to the people who who really truly care about us, but also understand what it is we're asking them. Because you could ask your sister who really, really cares about you, but she doesn't know anything about that business. And you're not going to get the right kind of feedback. You need to ask someone who's done it primarily and who understands what's important to you. So true. And I think these conversations that you have, especially with somebody who's been there before, are extremely important. And And a lot of times we don't ask those people because we consider that maybe they're just too busy or like who are they're not they're never going to talk to me but yeah. i'll tell you something that recently happened at the time of this recording we are about 15 days into the launch of my invention the switchpod yes and it's going really well right now by the time you're all listening to this that campaign will be over so we'll see where it actually ends those are up. some of my favorite podcasts too when you you guys just really detail how that whole process came together. So people should go back and listen to those. Yeah, it's crazy. And 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 I interviewed a couple people, uh, Tom and Dan from Studio Neat, who yep. essentially had done this process, inventing their own thing. It was called the Glyph, which mm-hmm. is an adapter for your iPhone for like a tripod. 
And um, we met them at an event and we just literally asked them, can we have a conversation with you? And we were, we were nobodies in the product space and they, they had built this huge business off of Kickstarter. And they were like, yeah, dude, we're, we totally remember what it was like to be there and we wanna help you as you start this. And so they helped make us decisions that were so important, like you don't wanna have to deal with with your first Kickstarter campaign 12 different colors and three different sizes. Like it's gonna just completely wipe away any energy you have when it comes to the fulfillment of this thing. So just- And like one sentence like that can save oh. you thousands and th hundreds of thousands of dollars in headaches and nightmare. Just, it could destroy it. And that's just like one piece of advice, one sentence long that can be so invaluable. A thousand percent. And, and, and now that the campaign is going, we're getting access to more people and even bigger camera companies who we would have been like, we would have never had the chance to, to talk with them. And, and we still feel like we are still peons compared to them. I mean, there are some amazingly helpful people out there who want to give back. And Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. It's so amazing. And, and not everybody's like that, obviously. But what helps us and, and, and what I know has helped you and several others is just asking ourselves, like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Yep. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that we're pulling this lesson out of having these conversations. And thank you for... Uh, sharing that snowboarding story. I remember that. And it, it really was impactful for me because I can see you crushing it in that space if you were to go down <laughs> it. Go down it. Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I I know I could. That's the thing. I know I could, but at what cost? Right. And at what cost? I think that's the important thing that we all have to evaluate is at what cost will this what what will the impact be on my my long term happiness? We so often look at these opportunities and things that we need to do, and we fail to take into consideration that our lives have seasons. And if you think about it in terms of farming, like I'm from Michigan, and so I grew up around farms and, you know, the smell of uh, manure and cows yes. and horses and, you know, when they're farming different crops, you could just the air smelled different. And when that happens... When they're growing a crop, another crop has to rest, right, mm -hmm. in order for that soil to be plentiful and for the crop that you're pouring your nutrients and time and care into, in order for that crop to really thrive, another crop has to rest. And I think as entrepreneurs, we feel like, okay, well, if I started a podcast and now I want to start a YouTube channel, I got to keep that podcast going at the same rate and I got to get this YouTube channel going and I got this YouTube channel going and now what I need to do is I need to go live every day on Instagram and so I need to keep that going and now on top of that, I've got to do this course and I got to keep all this stuff going and they never let, they never give themselves permission to let one of those things rest. You know, when I was knee deep into the research I was doing for the one through one method, I was able to line, because of my podcast, I was able to line up these crazy, amazing interviews, not with people who write books, but with scientists. And they were, they're hard to do because these guys don't normally do podcasts. So they would be like, what I would want to turn into 30 minutes would be like a four hour conversation. <laughs> so it was taking up so much time. I had to take a break from podcasting and literally allow podcasting to just rest I and go, it, it's okay. It's okay. I, why, why, why is that so important to me? Well, let's see. Worst case scenario is I drop in the ratings. Okay. Is that going to affect my long-term happiness? No. Is that going to affect the, the health and happiness of my family? No. The only thing that's going to, that's going to have an impact on a little bit of my income, a little bit, but more than anything, just my ego. 
and I can deal with that. So I'm going to let that rest because I can't allow my family to suffer and I can't allow my focus to be divided. Well said. And I want to talk about your family a little bit. You know, Brett is awesome. Met him several times and and your kids are amazing. I see them on social media now, especially (laughs) Brock, who has just released his YouTube channel. So we'll link to that in the show notes too. I want to give him some love. I've seen him speak on stage and, you know, Shalene, I have two young kids, as you know, uh, nine and six at this point. And I love how you've encouraged them to be fully themselves as they've as they've grown up. And, uh, you know, Brock's a, a quarterback in college now as well. And, and he's just thriving on social media as well as on YouTube. How have you as a parent, both you and Brett, have um, allowed them to take inspiration from you as an entrepreneur mm-hmm but allow them to still be completely themselves. I think a lot of, and the reason why I'm asking this is I'm, I'm afraid personally mm-hmm. of having my kids do what they do just because I do it too. I want mm-hmm. them to want to do it. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, we were pretty aware of it, mainly because my husband uh, grew up in a, an athlete's household where everyone either played collegiate or pro sports. And that was just kind of the expectation. And so not that it was ever said, you know, you've got to do this in order to have our love. It it was kind of one of those implied things, like, you know, mm-hmm. kids pick up, like, if I do this, dad gets excited or mom gets excited. Right. And, and I think my husband was so aware of that, that when our son was young and he wanted to play football, we let him play football for a little while. And then Brett and I made a conscious decision to pull him out for about, I think, three or four years um, because we told we told him, we want you to just experience other things. But we were also trying to send him the message that, like, whatever you want to do, just just do it well and, and have fun doing it. But, you know, w- we don't need you to do one thing for us. Mm-hmm. When it comes to your children, I, I think that too often we are worried about what people think of us based on our kids. My daughter, Sierra, is so different from my son, Brock. My son, Brock, is a pleaser uh, to a fault, and he'll tell you that. <laughs> and so Sierra, seeing that, and I also think probably seeing like me as a people pleaser, she decided, okay, well, everyone, that role is filled. I'm going to go the opposite way. And she's got this like kind of tough attitude, and um, you know, her sense of humor is a little probably probably less politically correct than what mom would love. You know, she just, she beats to her own drum. And I just always tried to encourage that. Like anything she wanted to do that was opposite. I was like, that's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, and there are times when I go, are people going to judge me for this? And I just have to let go of it and go, "I, I don't care. Who cares if they judge me for this? My kid is confident. So for example, Sierra, um, quit track quit running track. She had had a scholarship offer and uh, division one school. And then she just came to us one day and was like, I feel dead inside. I hate running. The scholarship doesn't feel meaningful to me. I want a better scholarship. I don't know what I want. I just, I'm so stressed out. And I said, well, go, go talk to a therapist and decide what it is you want to do because it doesn't make any sense for you to run in college if you if you really hate it but maybe you're just having a bad day so go talk to a therapist and um because i think it's also really important you encourage your kids to go see a dentist to go see a pediatrician to go see a therapist like your brain is kind of an important thing and not worry whether they're going to have you know talk about mom and dad hopefully they will 
right? Mm -hmm. So, because that's going to have them, that's going to help them to be more evolved. So Sierra goes to see a therapist and she came home that night, like a changed personality, like her shoulders were back and she looked happy and she walked in the door and she was just like smiling from ear to ear. And she goes, well, it's official. I will never run again. I hate running. And we're like, oh, well, okay then. So that trap scholarship, we're just going to get rid of it. And she's like, yep. And we're like, cool. We support you. We love you. What do you want to do? And she decided she wanted to write an ebook called uh, with the, 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 the swear word F running with the word F running. Wow. <laughs> right. And so like, even then I'm like, okay, she's 18. Can I tell her? I don't think you should use that word. I, I can, but I'm not going to tell her she can't. You know, and I'm also, I need to let go of the fact that like that might offend some people, but so what it's, it's her life. You know, when there are children, I will say a lot of times people will say, how do I teach my child to be an entrepreneur? I say, just let them have these momentary experiences where they can create something or solve a problem and make some money, but let them still be kids. So, you know, both of them had countless businesses and it's, not even appropriate really to call them businesses. Like we would buy them a domain and they would get all excited about it and they would figure out how to make money at it for about like three weeks and then it was over. And then they'd have another idea like two years later and then it was over. You know, we never made them like forcefully continue on and like you gotta be kids. All I wanted them to do is have evidence in a file that they have the ability to solve problems for people get excited about something and make money in the process that I just need them to have that evidence. Yeah, that is key. I, I think, and you know, that's kind of what I've been trying to provide for Kaoni now that he's nine and we'll uh, do the same for my daughter with her interests as well, just to let them know that they have options, you know, yeah. Uh, very, yeah. very different than when I grew up um, and, and other families that I knew about huh. as well, who were kind of like, they had a predetermined path from birth essentially yeah. to be a nurse or, or you know, a doctor or a lawyer or something. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me, Brock. I know you're probably listening to this. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you, man. Um, to finish off your book. Yeah. This is, this is in, in all of your publications, all of your work in life with Pio, which my wife still does, and, and a lot of the things that you've uh, provided for the world. Like, where does this rank in terms of importance in, in your mission? I don't know where to rank it. Um, because I smart success is really, really important to me because I think that helps families. Mm -hmm. I think that helps people stay together and find, you know, I know there isn't any like perfect balance, but the right balance for you based on your priorities. So smart success is really, really an important piece of work for me. But this is important because I feel like it's an apology to the people who trusted me and who followed me. And I didn't, I didn't honor the position I was in in the way that I should. What do you mean? And I ended up in fitness kind of by accident. I, di I, didn't, in I didn't study fitness. Um, so when I had success in fitness, from the moment that success started, I felt very much uncomfortable in that role. I didn't feel like I belonged there. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. Everyone's taller, thinner, fitter, stronger. They've studied this. And here I've got these, you know, like number one infomercials. People are calling me a health and fitness expert. And I didn't ever study that. So I, I was uncomfortable with that title. 
and struggled with those feelings. And in addition to that, I never... I never dug deep the way that I do everything else in my life. If I if I'm into something, I I'm skeptical at first and then I dig in and I I research and I study and I memorize and I interview people and when it came to health and fitness, I just pretty much regurgitated what I heard other health and fitness experts saying and doing. Like if they had more success, they certainly knew more than me. And so a lot of the advice I gave, a lot of the recommendations, a lot of the diet plans, a lot of the meal plans I put together, the recommendations I gave to people, the things I was trying to do for myself nearly destroyed. Well, it did. It destroyed my health. And when I had my own health scare, it wasn't until then that I really started to like piece things together and look back at the hypocrisy of not only what I was listening to, but what I was also suggesting to people and and the machine that I was a part of. And I just realized like, okay, I have ethics and integrity and I care about people's health. And if I truly care about people's health, I have to, I, I'm going to have to turn down some money. I'm going to have to walk away from some deals and I, I need to be honest and I need to be true. And I first need to get myself healthy. And then I need to I need to speak my truth because if, if silence, I believe, is making you an accomplice. So I'm pretty vocal now about my beliefs and what I think needs to change. I've seen it on Instagram last year when you were coming up with this method, testing it, validating it, talking to scientists. You had these amazingly truthful, honest posts that were revealing mm -hmm. a lot of things that I didn't even know about, about yeah. my own health. And, yeah. you know, it was really cool to see you sort of step into that role versus the Shaleen that I see late at night on TV, mm -hmm. which yeah. is, that stuff is still there. But I, I Yeah, and you know, that's the thing is my, my fitness programs, I still very much believe in them. And I've never, ever intentionally misled someone. Uh, if I said it, I really meant it at the time. I just didn't have the knowledge to back up claims like, you know, you're supposed to eat every two hours a day or, you know, eat low fat, make sure you reduce your calories eat super lean, cut out the fat. Like I, I just was repeating that from other experts. I, I never understood the responsibility I had not to just look at the research, but then look at, okay, who did the research and how new is this research and how does that impact each individual? Mm -hmm. There's so many things like just exercising for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours um, just to, just to maintain my weight. And then just even the hypocrisy of, I don't and I hate to say this, but some of the things I was asked to do, you know, and and the things that I was subjected to in the name of health are painful to think about now. And, and to know that there are people online, unfortunately, using an image that they see of a toned physique on Instagram, say, or Facebook or YouTube or wherever. And they they don't know really what's going on. For example, I when I had my most scary health scare is when I was asked to lose weight and get tighter and more toned for a new program I was filming, which by the way is pretty humiliating. And in the process, I just crashed. I ate sugar-free jello, Diet Coke. I ate Diet Coke <laughs> and um, air popcorn until I was 
you know, just about to fall apart. I had, and by the way, I didn't lose that much weight doing it and don't do this because I destroyed my gut. I destroyed my health, but in the process, I lost just enough weight to get the approval to do that project. And I remember I posted an, an image of myself on, um, Instagram and I knew I looked bad. And first of all, I knew it looked bad and I was a mess. I couldn't stop crying. My hair was falling out. I was so emotionally tired, exhausted. My, I didn't have strength or stamina. I was literally, you know, destroying my body to have this look for this video. Nonetheless, when I posted that photo, like all these comments underneath, like hashtag goals, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you've never looked better. You look amazing. Every once in a while, there'd be like a, what's going on? You look anorexic. But most of the comments were like, you, you're my new idol. I, this is the body I want. And I think to myself, gosh, I'm basing that on a photo and I've never been this unhealthy. Like I'm was literally in the middle of a health crisis and people were saying hashtag goals. Mm. And now I just feel like I have a responsibility to set the story straight and to help people understand that health is not something that we look at on Instagram. It's so much bigger. It's so much fuller. And, um, I just want to be, I just want to be that messenger. Well, thank you for stepping up and, and, and I mean, I just think this is so important, especially when you hear where this is coming from. And this is a perfect reason to write a book when you have something very important to say, obviously. And yeah. I'm, so, I'm so thankful you're doing it. And I've, I've seen the results from people who follow you on Instagram. I see, you know, in the explore a before and after picture. And then I just happened to look and see in the comments that it was you and the 131 method that made it happen in just a few That's weeks. Awesome. And, you know, diets and 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 workouts and all these things are are fads but i keep hearing from you that, that this isn't a diet this is a yeah. this is more of a it's a, it's, an intri- it's a you know what it is um i think to be honest we we're speaking to a lot of business people right yep. now so i will tell you that we really struggled in the last year with the marketing piece of this because if you market it as quote a nutrition program or like you're going to learn about your body people are like mm, yeah not interested do you have a meal plan <laughs> You know, so we we resisted, for example, putting meal plans in this program because I'm like, we're not going to create meal plans for people. You're going to learn how to do that for yourself. But people, that was a really big sticking point because we've been brainwashed into believing, well, we can't do that. We'll fail. Yeah. So there's we have to strike this like fine line in terms of marketing and truly what this program is. And it is it's an education. It's how you become an expert at your metabolism your nutrition. And in the process, you'll get healthy. For some people, that means they're going to lose weight. It depends on what your health objective is. For some people, it's just healing their gut. But ultimately, it's it's very individual for each and every person. So it's not a diet. There aren't any rules. Um, it's an education. And if you if you know all the info, you'll make the right decision. That's the bottom line. Like if you have all the information you need, then you don't have to ask someone else if you have permission to eat fill in the blank. And you don't have to ask somebody else to send you a meal plan because you'll know how to create your own. Uh, But that was tough for us in terms of marketing because that message wasn't very popular at first. So we had to find the right balance so that it was, once people are in, they love it. But we were like, how do we get people interested in it? And frankly, it's by using a lot of before and after photos that show weight loss. But those aren't the photos that make me happy. The ones that make me happy are the people who are like, I now love food and I'm not worrying about my weight. 
somehow I've lost 10 pounds and I wasn't even setting out to do that, or my skin is cleared up, um, my hormones are balanced. So now I'm happy to report I I finally got pregnant. Um, I, I'm off my depression medication. Like, and not suggesting that anyone's going to go off their depression medication, but it's so great to know that food can fix it. And yes, weight loss is far more marketable than feeling good. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is once people get in it, it kind of fixes all of those things. Well, the book comes out April 16th, uh, 2019 here, in case you're listening to this too uh, too far in the future, which obviously it's going to be available on Amazon. Um, any special places people should go besides Amazon to go and check it out? Yeah, if I could, I'd love to give people the mindset training that I think is really key because frankly, with all the information, it's information, right? And that information is out there. What's going to be different? Um, and what needs to, it's not just changing your food. If you're If you're going to change your health, yes, you also have to change your mindset. So if you go to 131book.com forward slash, no, just just go to 131book.com and there you'll see, you can just enter your order number for the book and I'll send you my audio program, which is all about mindset. Awesome. So 131book.com. 131book.com. Great domain. Yes, Shaleen. Yes, so thankful that you have spent time with us here today. Uh, what an honest and raw conversation. And I'm just so thankful to have you in my life as a mentor and, um, you know, virtually for all the listeners here as well. So I appreciate you. Well, you're one of my favorite people on the whole planet. And it's really because you're such an awesome dad and a great husband and someone who truly, honestly has integrity and honesty and care for others. So it has been my honor to be on your show today. Thank you, Shaleen. I appreciate you. Love you. Thank you so much. And Love best you. of luck uh, with the launch. Thank you. We'll, we'll be there to support you. Awesome. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Shaleen Johnson. Again, you can find that mindset guide that she's given us for free on her page for her book at 131book.com. And again, of course, you can check out the link to the book there, or you can go to the show notes page at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 366. Uh, just incredibly thankful to have connected with Shaleen. Actually, we connected way back in the day. She's been on the uh, podcast a couple times. We'll put links to the other episodes she's been on here as well. And it just reminded me about how we connected. We actually connected because of our podcasts. And I can't remember who interviewed her first, but it was through an introduction and the reason that we had podcasts. And it just, we formed this amazing friendship. And I'm just very thankful for her support over the years and specifically direct mentorship for how I've run my business as well. So, if there's one person to go follow and check out, you got to check out Shaleen. And again, Shaleen, if you listen to this, uh, good luck on the book launch. I'm very proud of you and, and thankful. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you. And Team Flynn, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that now because we got amazing episodes coming your way, already recorded, and I know what they are, and you're not going to want to miss them. So make sure you hit record if you haven't already. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated. Thank you in advance for that. And finally, just keep crushing it. Team Flynn for the win. Let's do this. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. 
Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories. And I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 